He's not looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded here at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 17th of May 2018. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this group. This is my first time as an editor, so I hope you'd be kind and forgive any beginner's slips on my part. Which reminds me, our telephone number for feedback is Worcester 767766 and our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org and of course your views are always very welcome. With me reading the news articles are Paddy Fellows, Hugh Thomas, and Moira Lowe. So I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves to you and you'll know what they sound like. I've been here for yonks, so uh, let's all enjoy ourselves. Uh, I'm Moira and you'll be hearing my voice throughout the evening. I'm Hugh and I know you can't see me but I'm tall, devastatingly good-looking and I'm the intelligent member of the team. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells fibs. And our engineer is Barry Hurd, our admin team, Janet and Hugh. The headlines this week are Friday the 11th of May, son murdered his father. Saturday the 12th of May, pub shuts in £1 million revamp. Monday the 14th of May, please don't deport me. Tuesday the 15th of May, Pupils' mental health shock. Wednesday, the 16th of May, I saved my pal from River. And Thursday, the 17th of May, Mum sees son knocked over. So it's over to the team for the headline articles, starting with Hugh. Okay, this is from uh, Friday, May the 11th. A son has been jailed for life with a minimum term of 24 years after being found guilty of murdering his father. Darrell Sampson, 29, used a hunting knife to stab his dad, Robert Sampson, in the ribcage, puncturing his heart. Uh, this happened near a bus stop in Crookborough Road in Norton, near Worcester, on November the 16th last year. Samson had denied murder, claiming that he lost control when he stabbed his father, but he did not intend to kill him, and that he'd only taken the knife to the meeting with his dad because he feared being attacked. But a jury unanimously found him guilty yesterday morning, and he was then sentenced in the afternoon. High Court Judge Sir Aklak Uraman Chowdhury told Samson when sentencing him that he had taken the hunting knife to the meeting with his father when his resentment and hatred had reached a peak with the full intention of using the weapon. 
Samson had arranged to meet his 63-year-old dad at the bus stop so he could discuss what he called their toxic abandoning relationship. You decided to have it out with him once and for all, the judge said. Instead of going straight to meeting him, you asked to be taken to your mother's house so you could retrieve the hunting knife. You have claimed you feared serious violence, but he had not shown any violence towards you in over a decade. Judge Chowdhury said Samson blamed his father for his heroin addiction and for not paying for him to have a longer stay at a drug rehab centre in Thailand. The treatment was expensive and Robert Samson did not contribute and it seems you resented him for that, the judge said. Judge Chowdhury called Robert Samson punching his son in the face in 2004 and hitting him on the back of the head when he was five years old, isolated incidents. They could not possibly have caused you to fear for your life in the way you have suggested, he said to Samson. I am quite satisfied that you took the knife on that night with the intention of using it. He added... It is quite clear that you did not lose your self-control. You were quite prepared to do him harm. Judge Chowdhury said Samson's intention was clear when he returned to his father's body and slammed his head against the ground and slapped his face. Instead of calling for help, you continued your attack, he said. You said to him, you deserve everything you get, and I hope this is the last face you ever see. Mm -hmm. Judge Chowdhury said Samson had shown no remorse after stabbing his father, and none since. You're only sorry for the consequences for yourself, he said. Robert Sampson's wife, Deborah, made a statement about the pain caused by the loss of her husband, which was read out by prosecutor Tahir Khan, QC, during the sentencing. She said, Ever since Darrell killed my husband, my life has changed in so many ways. Mrs. Sampson said she had not been able, able to... There's a mistake here, obviously... Um, should not be able to see red meat since his death as it reminded her too much of flesh. I now have a widow's pension, which is unbelievable, she said. I hope Darrell feels some remorse for what he did to his dad and for what he has put everyone through. I know nothing can change anything, even if he apologises, and our lives have been changed forever. The fact that Darrell has pleaded not guilty to the murder and put us through a trial has caused everyone more pain and stress and has scarred us for life. I used to think that you could trust people, but what has happened makes me think that nobody can be trusted. Now Saturday, May the 12th. Pub shuts in £1 million revamp. Park venue to be American-style smokehouse. A popular pub will close today as work begins on a £1 million-plus revamp to turn it into an American-style smokehouse and barbecue restaurant. The pavilion in the park 
pub, located in Tybridge Street, is set to be transformed into a Hickory's Smokehouse, bringing the restaurant chain to the city and creating 80 jobs. The major revamp will see the pub, which is adjacent to Cripplegate Park, completely transformed with every aspect of the venue being redesigned. The restaurant will have a new open kitchen and chef's bar, booth seating, a cinema room, along with dining areas for up to 150 guests internally and more outside seating available. The outside area will also undergo a makeover with a sheltered veranda and outdoor seating, together with children's area and table tennis zone and fire pit. Visitors are promised southern-style hospitality, offering an experience reminiscent of barbecue restaurants in the southern states of America. Hickory's smokehouse owner, Neil McDonald, said, We are absolutely thrilled to be launching in the city and are really looking forward to meeting with local people and getting to know the community. Worcester's been on our wish list of locations for some time, so we're delighted to have acquired a site so close to the city centre. The menu includes southern classics with wings, ribs and brisket, all smoked low and slow for up to 16 hours. It also offers breakfast, brunch and lunch dishes and southern-inspired desserts. The team will also be looking to recruit about 80 new hospitality professionals, including chefs, servers, bar team and managers. And the new restaurant will open late summer. Hickory's Smokehouse already have two other branches in the West Midlands, plus restaurants in Coventry, Chester, two in Merseyside and another in North Wales. To find out more about job opportunities, email Hickory's Recruitment at hickories.co.uk. Now, I have a plea from a grandmother who says, please don't deport me. And it continues with saying that um, since 2014, Brenda Ackerman has been in dispute with the Home Office to remain in Worcester, which she calls home. A petition is being launched today for new Home Secretary uh, and Worcestershire MP David David, to look at the case and for the Home Office to reverse their refusal to grant her a visa after two applications and an appeal were unsuccessful. Mrs Ackerman originally left South Africa, where she was born, with her husband Brian in 2006, following a spate of burglaries that left them concerned for their safety. The pair fled with no possessions and joined their daughter Candice Gordon and husband Martin and two children in Dubai. Tragically, Mr. Aikerman died in 2012, and a year later the family lost their legal basis to be in Dubai due to Mr. Gordon being them being made redundant. <coughs> Mrs. Aikerman came to Britain in September 2013, but the following February she received the shock news that although the family could stay, Mrs. Aikerman's application had been refused. An appeal was proved unsuccessful 
which they've said before. So the family hired uh, barrister Jim Durfel, who has successfully fought other immigration cases. The latest application he worked on stressed that there was compelling medical evidence that Mrs. Ackerman should stay as she'd been treated for a pulmonary embolism in hospital depression and suffered a number of falls in the past year. Mrs. Ackerman also points out her British heritage, which can be traced back to the 12th century, as she is a distant relative of King John, James and the First. Oops, James I and Robert the Bruce. After the application two weeks ago, Mrs. Aikman was issued with a letter of bail and at one point ordered a report to the local to report to the local police station once a month to sign a bail release form. The 71-year-old is currently living in Lower Broadheath with her daughter Candace Gordon, who, along with the rest of the family, is caring for her. Mrs Aikman, who uses crutches to get about the family home, said, My descendants were British. In the refusal notice, they said I should go back to South Africa because I know the culture there and speak the language. But I know the culture and speak the language better in Britain than I do in South Africa. The thought of being all alone in South Africa is unthinkable. Every time I hear a car outside or see a police car, I think they're coming for me. The family barrister is now launching a judicial review into the case on the basis that the Home Office failed to consider the submissions properly including medical reports, as well as refusing a right of appeal. Mr Durfel said the decision shows once again that it's not the computer who says no or that there's an oversight when it comes to decisions on individual cases, but the whole decision-making <coughs> is geared towards refusal, irrespective of the consequences. <coughs> Mrs Gordon said Mum's had two knee replacements and is often unsteady on her feet, has had a few falls which obviously concern us. Mum would not be a burden to the British public. We've shown to the home of us that we can care for her. Mum's father fought for King and Crown in the First World War. Does that hold no value or worth? My mum is actually Queen Elizabeth's cousin, 18 times removed, yet she's being told she can't stay here. It was humiliating for her to wait in the line amongst people convicted of crimes to sign a bail release. Her home is where her family is and we are here. To us, the Home Office has shown that mum is nothing more than a disposable commodity. And it goes on further, so I think I'll leave it there. Okay. My headline is from Tuesday, May the 15th, Pupils' Mental Health Shock. School referrals to mental health treatment have more than doubled over the last year in the county. NSPCC figures show that 352 referrals were made for troubled pupils by schools to NHS services in Worcester in 2017-18, compared with 170 in 2016-17 and 77 in 2015-16. The increase is drastically more than the national average, with a third more referrals being made nationwide this year.
The NSPCC says increased demand for support is jeopardising the well-being of thousands of children. Nearly a third of referrals from schools to the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, which is CAMS, over the last three years nationally, were declined treatment as they did not meet the criteria for support. Peter Wanless, Chief Executive of the NSPCC, said, Our research shows schools are increasingly referring children for specialist mental health treatment, often when the child is a crisis point. Childline plays a vital role in supporting children with their mental health, and many turn to us when they are struggling to get across to specialist treatment. Early counselling from Childline could also help relieve the pressure on CAMS. We have seen a marked increase in counselling about mental health and fully expect it to continue. It is vital that government urgently provides more funding to Childline and help children who don't have access to support elsewhere. Dame Esther Ranson, founder and president of Childline, said, Young people are telling us they are overwhelmed with mental health issues, such as depression and anxiety, which is taking many of them to the brink of suicide. Our counsellors are literally saving lives and it concerns us that we cannot help every child who desperately needs us. Last week, the NSPCC and four of their campaigners handed in a petition of 22,411 signatures to Downing Street to call for increased funding to Childline as part of their Are You There campaign. A Worcester Health and Care NHS Trust spokesman said there was room for improvement but it was making progress in services available for children. Schools being able to refer to CAMS is a fairly recent introduction. Previously, previously, this would have only been possible via a GP, and we have worked closely with our local schools during that time to make them aware that they can revert to, refer to the service. We have a service called CAST, Consultation, Advice, Support and Training, linked to MHS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. They work directly with professionals who are working with young people experiencing or at risk of experiencing mental health difficulties. Working with commissioners, we have developed a number of new teams and services to support children and young people's emotional and well-being needs over the last 12 months, including a bespoke eating disorder service for 8 to 17 year olds. There is always room for improvement, but we think these developments, alongside already established services, represent progress in terms of what is now available to support children and young people across Worcestershire. When referred to CAMS, every child and young person is assessed to understand their condition and to ensure they get the support which is right for them. If they don't require CAMS, then they will be supported to access a more appropriate alternative. For example, a young person may be referred to CAMS following a bereavement when it may be more suitable for them to access a specialist bereavement charity. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman was unavailable for comment. A boy leapt into the river to save his friend's life after he was pushed into the water. Declan Brooks Harper, 15, who goes to Norton College near Worcester, saw his friend Kieran Hadley in year nine, who cannot swim, disappearing under the water of the River Stour. Declan, who has ADHD and Asperger's syndrome, quickly jumped into the river to rescue his friend, which he described as an impulse reaction that he thought anyone would do. 
He said, we were all going down to the river as it was a hot day to go and chill. We were going to go in the water, but I wasn't sure about doing it. Kieran said he could swim, but he couldn't. One of our group thought it would be funny to push him in, not realising he couldn't swim. He started to sink as it was deeper than he thought, and he screamed out. You could tell how scared he was because he screamed rather than just shouting for help. I jumped in after. I think I was in the water about five minutes trying to get him to safety. I told him to get on my shoulders. The most important thing was to stay calm and to try to float. I had to shout at Kieran because he'd started to panic. I started to swim towards the closest shore, but it was difficult, so I swam the other way. I thought we might both die at one stage because it was a strong current. I didn't really think about being proud. I thought it was what anyone would do in this situation. I would definitely do it again if I was in the same situation. After being rescued, Kieran called his father to pick him up. Declan from Hartlebury also warned other people who were thinking of swimming in the river on hot days. He said, it's not a good idea. Anywhere there is a strong current is not a good idea to swim, except the seaside. It's deeper than it looks, and I wouldn't advise anybody to get in. According to the Royal Life Saving Society UK, 85% of accidental drownings happen in open water, often due to a lack of understanding or awareness of the dangers at such locations. The rescue happened at around 6pm on Wednesday, April the 18th, near Discovery Road in Stourport. No emergency services were called. Now I have the headline of Mum sees son knocked over and she's calling for a safer crawling, crossing call for Alexander when he was hit by a car at Pinch Point. And that was in Battenhall Road. Road has the support of City Councillor Louise Griffiths who wants to see a crossing in London Road too. Mrs Parks has lived in nearby the Hill Avenue for 16 years and the mum of two believes the pinch point, which is a design designated crossing between the junctions for Athelstan Road and St Dunstan's Crescent, is not working. The proximity of Athelstan Road to the pinch point makes me question whether the pinch point does more harm than good. Mrs Parks and her son were walking from Red Hill Primary School at around 3.30pm when the crash happened. She said the car caught, caught his scooter, which took the impact, but he was knocked off it. People coming towards London Road have to give way to people coming in the opposite direction and to those waiting to cross. We've been given the go-ahead by people going towards London Road and it was clear behind us. She said she believes the driver who struck her son was coming from Athelstan Road but appeared to be sticking to the 20 mile per hour speed ban. 
She said, I don't think she'd seen him. I was blocking the way so he could cross clearly. She went around me and then caught him, but she wasn't going very fast. The fact is, it's very dangerous. If anyone had been going quicker, it could have been different, and the consequences much greater. It's an accident waiting to happen. Councillor Griffiths, who lives nearby off London Road, described Batten Hall Road as a complete nightmare at all times. The recently elected Batten Hall Ward councillor said, people tend to go through the pinch point and then stay in the middle of the road, which makes coming out of St Dunstan's Crescent very dangerous. What I think is needed is some form of crossing. My preference would be that we really look at the design of the pinch point and take it away if necessary. She said that it is heavily used by pupils of nearby schools like Red Hill Primary and Worcester Royal Grammar School. She added that people come speeding around the corner. If we had a zebra crossing, it could really help to slow the people down. Councillor Griffiths of the Green Party said the 20 mile an hour signage on Batten Hall Road also needs to be clearer. She said, as you turn into Batten Hall Road from London Road, there are two 20 mile an hour signs. One is painted into the junction, so by the time you've seen it, you've already driven over it. The other is facing a bush, and it's been placed badly, so you can't see it. She went on, this is something that we will continue to push for, as well as a proper crossing on London Road, because London Road has no safe crossings. It's an accident waiting to happen. We will lobby, lobby for changes on both roads, as traffic calming measures are needed. I don't think we should have to wait until someone is hit and seriously injured before something is done. Cabinet Minister with responsibility for highways, Councillor Alan Amos, said naturally any situation where a child is injured is awful for all involved. We will review the circumstances into the action on Battenhall Road and see what lessons can be learned. Now some articles from this week's papers. Okay, so my headline is um, Give Yourself Up Police Station Sign. A poster put up on the front of the city's main police station told wanted offenders the best times to hand themselves in. The notice informed criminals that they should arrive at Worcester Police Station in Castle Street early in the morning to avoid waiting in custody. It also said that early arrivals will be guaranteed a seat on the bus to Kidderminster Magistrates Court, which now serves as <laughs> a long walk in Worcestershire. The sign added that offenders who arrive at the station after 6am may be forced to wait in a cell for 24 hours before a court appearance. The poster noted that those who are subject to a warrant or have broken their bail conditions could be fast-tracked if they arrive between 10pm and 4am. West Mercy Police has now removed the sign which was stuck up after Worcester Magistrates Court stopped being a remand court. Custody Chief Inspector Ian Wall said, We are aware of a poster referencing some changes to the system. The poster, which was written in all good faith, 
has since been removed and does not reflect operational guidance. Individuals wanted by the courts often hand themselves in at police stations and we would encourage them to do so at the earliest opportunity to allow us to process them efficiently through the system prior to any court appearance. Mm -hmm. A West Mercia police spokesman mm -hmm. said the force moved the remand court to Kidderminster on April the 1st. Following mm -hmm. a consultation with the Ministry of Justice and Her Majesty's Court and Tribunal mm -hmm. Service, the poster said, Please note that Worcester Magistrates Court is no longer a remand court. The remand court for Worcestershire is now Kidderminster. If you hand, I swear I've just read this. If you hand yourself in at Worcester Police Station after 6am for a court warrant, you will have to wait in police detention until the following morning, brackets 24 hours. The best time to hand yourself in at Worcester. I have just read this, haven't I? Yes. Um, okay, so let's skip to something new then. Um, Stephen Scully from Lanyon Bowdler's Solicitors in Telford said he and his colleagues are regularly seeing people who are not being remanded by 7.30am being kept until the following day. A tribunal spokesman added, there have been no complaints about transport. And there is no evidence to suggest that there has been a significant increase in the numbers of defendants awaiting available court, or that cases are not being heard within 24 hours. Mm. Well, that's shocking. Mm. Them having to wait. Mm. Now, apparently there's an important wedding taking place on Saturday, and here's an article about a speculative local connection. So here goes, with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle set to walk out of St George's Chapel, man and wife, next Saturday, one tradition may be celebrated with some homegrown help. Prince Harry is already aware of the Real Flower Petal Confetti Company based in Wick in Pershaw as he turned to the confetti supplier for his father's big day in 2005. Oh. Harry and his brother William chose a mix of pale pink and ivory delphinium petals for the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall, Charles and Camilla. But it is not yet known whether he will be turning to the beautiful meadows again for his big day. The confetti supplier, based on the Wick Manor estate, has hand-picked confetti for weddings all over the world since 1997. The confetti has proved popular with couples as a biodegradable alternative. Meanwhile, Holywell Springwater, based in Malvern, will also be celebrating the big day with its limited edition Markle Sparkle Sparkling Water <laughs> And still Harry, still, I'm not making this up, honestly, I am reading Some this. Some millions today, that's Really mm. amazing, isn't it? I've bought you a bottle. Yeah, mm. it's still the same water, I presume. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, Malvern's water's royal connection mm. spans more than five centuries, and it has been the drink of choice for many monarchs. Mm -hmm. Queen Victoria famously refused to travel without it, and Queen Elizabeth II carried it wherever she travelled abroad. Mm -hmm. The bottles will be available in the week before the wedding. Mm -hmm. But only in Malvern. Mm. Ah, Okay. Right. Well, now back to something a bit more serious. <clears throat> and this story is headed Escorts Changed on Ollie's Bus. Escorts on a school bus have been replaced amid allegations that they provoked a pupil, it has been claimed. 
Previously, this paper reported that an autistic boy was banned from his school bus after escorts complained about his behaviour. But his mother, Stacey Corns, felt the exclusion was unfair and said her son, Ollie Parker, was provoked by escorts who travel on his bus with him. Ollie, aged eight, attends Fort Royal Community Primary School in Wilds Lane, Worcester, due to his condition. He travels each day from his home in Malvern on a special minibus with an escort, but he was recently excluded for a week. Miss Corns claims she reported two escorts to the County Council for provoking Ollie's bad behaviour. Worcestershire County Council confirmed that some schedules for support staff had been changed and said parents had been notified. But Miss Corns said she was yet to receive a letter. Previously, Miss Corns told the Worcester News she felt she was being treated unfairly as she struggles with reading and writing and was told her verbal complaints were not logged. Speaking on the escort's removal, Miss Corn said, It is a good thing, obviously. I don't want my son to lash out. Obviously, they can move on to somewhere else. I feel they've sorted it, but it's all a muddle, as the school have told me something different. The school said it, the change in escorts, was just until half term. It can't have just been me that reported them, otherwise they wouldn't have removed them. Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Education and Skills, said, We can confirm there have been changes within the schedules of our school reports transport support staff, of which parents have been notified. Our support staff play an important role in ensuring children and young people with disabilities or mobility problems are able to get to school safely each day. We advise parents, if they have concerns regarding their school transport, to contact Worcestershire County Council directly and we will work with them to address their concerns. Now, here's news of a defibrillator being installed on Pitchcroft. A life-saving defibrillator is to be installed at Pitchcroft, has been announced. In May, Worcester Pitchcroft Park Run, which organises free weekly 5K runs at the site, began fundraising for the defibrillator. Worcester City Council originally donated £1,520 towards the cost of equipment and installation, but campaigners were still short of £580. Fundraisers were blown away with the response when they managed to raise the remaining cash through donations from generous supporters in just 36 hours. Announcing the news on Worcester Pitchcroft Park Run Facebook page, the message read, Owing to your kind donations, we have officially ordered a public access defibrillator. It will be a great addition to Worcester Pitchcroft Park Run and the wider community. Research suggests that the chances of surviving a cardiac arrest decreases by about 10% for every minute's delay between when a person collapses with a cardiac arrest and when they receive an electric shock from the defibrillator. It's a def if a defibrillator gets 
to someone within eight minutes, it improves their chances of survival by a massive 75%. Sam Payne, Pitchcroft Park Run event director, said we have now ordered the DFib through a company called Place Partnership. It will be mounted on the wall of the Pitchcroft Pavilion, changing rooms. We've also received kind offers from the NHS offering free of charge training for our volunteers and runners. We aim to get this organised over the next month or so. The DFib will be useful and available to the football team, rowers, general public, horse racing event goers and anybody using the park. In truth, we predicted that raising the nine, no, £600 would take many weeks. However, after one social media post and one event, we were inundated with immensely kind donations. Councillor Joe Hodges of the City's Council Small Grants Panel said the City Council was delighted to support this great initiative to provide a defibrillator. Our small grant seam supports quality qualifying whoops qualifying community and volunteer groups across Worcester. The park run was set up last year and attracts hundreds who run the free 5k run every Saturday at 9am. That's that. Mm. Okay, occupants of a house in Worcester have been thrown out following issues of antisocial behaviour, including reports of drug offences and violence. Magistrates at Worcester Magistrates Court approved a closure order under the Antisocial Behaviour Crime and Policing Act 2014 for a house in Rose Avenue, Tolladine. This means that it is a criminal offence for anyone to enter the property unless authorised by the police for a three-month period. West Mercy of Police, on behalf of the Gorse Hill and Rainbow Hill Safe Neighbourhood team, apply for the order to address concerns around antisocial behaviour and give neighbours respite from continued issues. The order was served to occupants of the address, preventing them from entering the premises until August 10, 2018. Sergeant Simon Hallam said, West Mercy Police remain committed to working with the community to make the area a safe and better place to live. We would therefore like to remind residents that as the householder, they are responsible for the activity of the residents at their own address and also for the behaviour of persons attending their address. Following the order, residents took to social media to voice their opinions. Hmm. Commenting on the Worcester News Facebook page, Alison Hodges said, OK, but where do they go now? Posting on the Worcester News website, user Dark Day said, Surely all this is doing is moving the problem somewhere else, not solving anything. Previously, the Worcester News reported how youths were terrorising the neighbourhood and causing trouble near a run-down rose shops in Rose Avenue in Tolladine. Many of the shops are empty, as the area is due to undergo a major revamp, but residents say the boarded-up shops have become a breeding ground for antisocial behaviour. We reported how four new shops and four homes would replace a number of closed-down businesses last August. However, nine months later, the estimated £1.7 million project put forward by the landowner Fortis remains on hold. Five businesses have already shut their doors or moved elsewhere, leaving only three working shops left. 
Police UK crime data shows West Mercy Police recorded 54 crimes in and around Rose Avenue out of 150 crimes in the Gorse Hill and Rainbow Hill neighbourhood. One of the most serious incidents involved a fire in a suspected drugs den above a closed Italian takeaway last year. The NHS has applied for an £8 million loan to increase bed numbers at the city's hospital in preparation for next winter. Health bosses also started work on a new bridge connecting two sections of Worcestershire Royal Hospital last week. The hospital has suffered from bed shortages in recent years, with an episode of the BBC's ambulance programme broadcast on Thursday highlighting pressures this winter. During the show, one paramedic claimed that 16 ambulances were stuck waiting outside the hospital. Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said it plans to boost the number of beds at the hospital by refurbishing ward areas in the Aikenbury East Building. A spokesman added, this work, agreed as part of the countrywide acute services, sorry, countywide mm-hmm. acute services review, is funded by a £29.6 million Department of Health capital grant. £3 million of this has already been granted as public dividend capital to allow the construction of a link bridge between the main Worcestershire Royal Hospital and Aikenbury East and work on this began last week. Staff will be able to move patients between the buildings quicker by using the bridge. The spokesman added, NHS England has sought to accelerate an application for a further loan of £8 million from the original approved £29.6 million to enable work to begin on the new Aikenbury wards at the earliest opportunity. Worcestershire Acute NHS Hospitals Trust will have to put together a business case before it can access the rest of the government grant, but this will take some time. Health Watch Worcestershire Chief Peter Pinfield wrote to the Chief Executive of NHS England, Simon Stevens, to request urgent cash. He received a reply explaining that health bosses had applied for an £8 million loan to pay for an extra 81 beds at Worcestershire Royal Hospital this winter. A number of measures were implemented to ease pressures this year, including new and expanded units at Worcester's Hospital. Now an article from Monday, May the 14th. Overdose in City Centre Doorway. A new documentary showed the shocking moment paramedics treated a man who was suffering from a heroin overdose in a city centre doorway. A camera crew filmed ambulance staff help the man outside the cancer research shop in the Cross, Worcester, for the BBC's ambulance programme. City Councillor Aladitta, who represents the Cathedral Ward, is now demanding action over drug use in the city centre. He said, it makes me feel awful. That's why I want to urge people to come together to try and eradicate it. There's been an increase in alcohol and drugs. Drug dealers are targeting Worcester City. We are trying to eradicate it. 
There's plenty of rehabilitation centres and agencies. Maybe there's something we can figure out. I'm not sure what the mag magic answer is. We all need to come together. We previously reported that the man, thought to be 38 years old, had collapsed in front of the cancer research shop on January the 4th. He was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, PCSO Nathan Stevenson, who featured in the show, said, the programme showed that the ambulance service did an outstanding job facing a variety of incidents. It was a pleasure to also be shown in a positive caring light. It's a privilege to work alongside professionals who have the safety and well-being of the public as their number one priority. The documentary showed how paramedics found the man unconscious in the charity shop's doorway and administered a heroin antidote called Narcan. Pete Szezepanski, clinical lead of drugs recovery charity Swanswell, said, Narcan has to be used when someone enters an overdose. It, Narcan, has to be administered to save their life. Mr Szezepanski added that he would encourage anyone with a substance problem to visit one of Swanswell's three centres in Worcestershire. Now this is a piece about the RAF centenary to be marked in the city. A series of events will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Royal Air Force in the city this weekend. This is uh, May the 16th. The Royal Air Forces Association Concert Band will play a selection of well-loved favourites as part of the music in the air evening at the Swan Theatre on Saturday before more than 400 blue uniformed troops will march through the city the following day. <clears throat> Worcester and District Branch Chairman John Mason said it's fitting that Worcester has been chosen in recognition of the vital part contributed to the war effort in the environs of Worcestershire during the Second World War and after that with radar. At such renowned sites as the famous telecommunications research establishment TRE at Malvern, RAF Defford and RAF Burchell. These events are a vital part of the RAF Association's presence in the Worcestershire area and the funds we raise throughout the year in the Wings Appeal are used to continue our positive work in the community. The painting was to light blue march. It will march through the city will begin at 1pm on Sunday, starting from the Corn Market to the Cathedral through Mealcheapen Street and the High Street. The march will be led by the West Mercia Air Training Corps, ATC Band, followed by the standards of the Royal Air Force Air Cadets, RAF FAC from the West Mercian Wing and marching contingents made of serving RAF personnel from RAF Cosford, air cadet units from the combined West Mercia Wing Air Training Corps and many ex-RAF and WRAF veterans. This will be followed by an invitation-only service in Worcester Cathedral, which starts at 2pm. Tickets for the concert at the Swan Theatre, which begins at 7.30pm, can be purchased from the Worcestershire.co.uk.
UK or by calling 01905 611 427. Tickets cost £15 and £12 for concessions, including service personnel and ex men and women. Money will go to the RAF Wings Appeal, which helps serving and former personnel and their families in time of need. West Midlands Safari Park is celebrating its 45th anniversary this year with the help of their pride of African lions, one of the first species to arrive at the park at its inception. Opened in the spring of 1973 by actress Sophia Loren, what began as a fairly small local attraction, located in the heart of Worcestershire, has now evolved into one of the largest attractions in the Midlands. From humble beginnings with a total of 447 animals recorded during its first year, the park now holds 837 animals, including a pride of 12 African lions, a colony of 21 Humboldt penguins and a troop of 13 ring-tailed lemurs. Times have very much changed since the early 70s, with many animals becoming endangered and close to extinction in the wild. Participating in 23 breeding programmes, including Sumatran tigers, Ald's deer and African wild dogs, conservation is at the heart of everything that is done locally, nationally and internationally. Births at the attraction are of particular importance due to the rate at which some of these beautiful species are reducing in the wild. Recent successes include Finn, the tiny pancake tortoise, Fennessy, the Rothschild giraffe, and half-siblings Igosu and Fahari, the southern white rhinos. As well as the four-mile self-drive safari and animal exhibits, the 200-acre site is now home to the largest dinosaur and ice age experiences in the UK, Land of the Living Dinosaurs and Ice Age, the latter of which opened earlier this year. This year also marks the 40th year of the park's managing director, who began working at the attraction as a sea lion keeper in 1978. He said, I'm absolutely delighted that the park has reached its 45th anniversary. The park is much more than just a safari drive through. It is now a complete family day out with a huge range of activities and experiences to keep families coming back again and again from one generation to the next. Our team, many who have been here over 25 years, have contributed to making the park a destination that has won over 30 international awards during its evolution. From amazing wildlife exhibits and successful animal births to the recent opening of our fantastic prehistoric exhibits, we have expanded our business to enable us to provide something for everyone and our future plans are even more exciting than the last 45 years combined. For me personally, celebrating my own 40th year at the park this year is a milestone filled with almost a lifetime of happy memories and amazing experiences. Last year saw the opening of the attraction's new Safari Academy, which has five sustainably, sustainably built classrooms, specifically for visiting schools and education groups. Further information is available from the park's website at wmsp.co.uk or by calling 01299 402 114. Witch District Council staff have slammed vandals who cruelly damaged a photo of a former decorated member of the Royal Navy located in Pershaw's commemorative garden in Abbey Park. 
The photo was on an information panel and remembered Ted Annis, who served in the Royal Navy with distinction during the Suez Crisis in 1956, and who was also a former town councillor and founder of the Pershaw and District Royal Navy Association and Social Club. It was vandalised sometime between the evening of Saturday, April the 21st, and Sunday, April the 22nd. Witchhaven arranged for the damaged panel to be removed and has already had a new one made to replace it. Lynn Stevens, Senior Parks Officer at Witchhaven, said, This is a disgrace and the vandals should be ashamed. We have obviously paid to put this right, but it's important to remember that this money could be used for other things to improve parks and open spaces, rather than fixing something that has been mindlessly vandalised. It goes without saying that Ted's family is very upset about this. The park is a lovely place to go, which makes it even more appalling that some unthinking people do not have respect for places like the commemorative garden and for the people it is there to pay tribute to. The vandalism has been reported to the police and the incident number is 755-S-220418. Anyone who has information can call the police on 101 and quote the incident number to report it. And lastly, an article about the popular RHS Malvern Spring Show. Mm -hmm. Crowds flocked to a four-day flower show held at the Three Counties Showground. The popular RHS Malvern Spring Show was expected to have had more than 100,000 visitors who enjoyed good weather throughout. Now in its 33rd year, the show has become the RHS's biggest event outside London. This year, the landmark gardening and food event took its inspiration from the Great Exhibition of 1851. Always a popular destination are the show gardens, which saw a number of RHS medals handed out. Best show garden winners Ruth Gwynne and Alan Williams said were over the moon to be taking the top title. It means a great deal to receive this prestigious recognition. We wanted to bring bags of creativity to the table and engage the senses in our imagined perfume as gardener. We hoped we were crafting a really spectacular show garden and we're glad the judges agreed. Diana Walton, head of RHS Malvern Spring Festival, said, Our show gardens this year are as good as I have ever seen, with a wonderful mix of whimsical, heartfelt, colourful and surprising designs that truly lift the spirits when you wander around them. So much hard work and dedication goes into the creation of these spectacular designs. It's wonderful to open our gates to thousands of visitors to fully appreciate them. A world first, which received a lot of attention, was a special knitted garden crafted by Claire Young and a team of global knitters. And there were celebrations as RGS Worcester's Gardening Club were commended for their garden design and received first prize for the campaign to protect rural England in the show's school garden competition. 
Celebrities making an appearance over the weekend included gardening god Alan Titchmarsh, <laughs> MasterChef judge John Turow, and BBC Gardener's World presenters Carol Klein and Chris Beardshaw, also Alice Fowler and Joe Swift. Mm. Blue Peter legend Valerie Singleton also made a special visit to see the Blue Peter Garden, which has been created to celebrate 60 years of the popular children's show. And this article is beautifully illustrated with a range of pictures from displays inside the floral marquee to Malvern Wells Church of England Primary School um, with a dovecote in their garden. They are growing vegetables and have a, a structure to attract birds and insects. Mm. That knitted garden that was mentioned, even a cave with pygmy goats mm. and also the Australian chef John Tarot. Mm -hmm. Have a look. Now a new short additional article which I thought was quite interesting. In the Worcester News each day there's an On This Day article which gives a list of famous events and um, people and um, what they did on this particular date and that's the one for 17th of May today which apparently is the National Day of Norway. So on this day, in 1510, Florentine painter Sandro Botticelli, whose work included the birth of Venus, died. 1836, Sir Norman Lockyer, British astronomer who discovered helium, was born in rugby. 1861, a group of holidaymakers set off from London for Paris on the first package trip arranged by Thomas Cook. Mm. 1890, the first weekly comic, Comic Cuts, was published in London by Alfred Harmsworth. Do you remember that? Mm. 1899, Queen Victoria laid the foundation stone of the Victoria and Albert Museum. 1900, Mafeking was relieved by British forces in the Boer War after 217 days. 1960, the Kariba Dam on the Zambezi River was opened by the Queen Mother. 1969, Dubliner Tom McLean completed the first solo transatlantic crossing in a rowing boat. 1978, Compact discs were created by Phillips. 1978 also, Charlie Chaplin's coffin was found 10 miles from the Swiss cemetery where he'd been buried after it was stolen on March the 2nd. 1990, the General Assembly of the World Health Organization eliminated homosexuality from the list of psychiatric diseases. And 2004, the first legal same-sex marriages in the United States were performed in the state of Massachusetts. Mm. Mm. And now we go on to the death and funeral announcements for the week. Hugh. Okay, James Christopher Bayliss <coughs> sadly passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on April the 19th, age 29. And a service to celebrate his life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on May the 23rd at 11.30. <clears throat> John Coverdale, 
Uh, Beverly Worcester died peacefully on May the 8th um, and a requiem mass will be held at St George's Catholic Church Worcester on Friday June the 8th at 12pm uh, Tessa known as Tess Sherwood passed away peacefully at home on Wednesday the 11th of April aged 56 years and uh, a funeral service will take place uh, at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 23rd of May at 9.15am. Stuart Allen Bigart passed away at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital on April the 22nd, aged 66 years. A funeral service to take place at Martin Hussentry Church uh, on Thursday, May the 31st at 11.45am. Cynthia Rose German of Quedgley and previously Malvern uh, peacefully died at Westbourne Nursing Home on April the 26th, age 86 years. Uh, <coughs> funeral service took place mm. at Gloucester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 16th. And uh, Russell James Godfrey Hunt, formerly Hunt, uh, passed away peacefully at home after an illness, bravely born, aged 58, on May the 10th. Um, funeral service will be held at Hereford Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 30th, at uh, noon, midday. Verena or Veronica Burnham of Gellivelt Court, Barbourne, Worcester passed away peacefully in hospital on May the 1st, 2018, aged 92 years. The funeral has already taken place. Nathan Alexander Jones passed away May the 7th, 2018, aged 38. The funeral for Nathan has already taken place. Um, this is about John Priest. He passed away peacefully on April the 24th, aged 96 years. And the funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on <coughs> Tuesday, May the 22nd at 10.45am. Stephen Howell Gwyn Lewis passed away suddenly on April the 28th. 2018, aged 57 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, May 24th at 10.45am. Margaret Smith Peatley passed away peacefully after a long illness on April 24th, 2018, aged 71 years. Her funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 21st of May at 10 o'clock. Okay, thought for the day, uh, for the week ending uh, Saturday, uh, May, uh, from the from Corinthians. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And we have one birthday to celebrate this week, and on the 22nd, 
Gillian Mann will have her birthday and we wish her a very happy day at that happy time. Birthday, happy birthday, Gillian. Mm. Happy birthday. Mm. Right. Mm. Now some useful telephone numbers for you. First of all, out of ours medical help, 6pm to 8pm, 0300-123-3211. The NHS number for non-emergency help, 111. Malvern Theatre, 01684-892277. Worcester Live, which incorporates the Swan Theatre and Huntingdon Hall. Worcester 611429. Worcester Hub for Council Matters, either Worcester 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers 0800 one. And lastly, Samaritans 116123, which is a free phone number. Now some sport. I'll start off. Lawrence, a surprise call-up to England's squad. And it's about a member of the Worcester Warriors team. Mm. Ollie Lawrence is a surprise name in England's 31-man training squad that includes his Worcester Warriors teammates Ben To, Jack Singleton and Nick Shonnett. The 18-year-old centre only made his Worcester first team debut in November and has yet to play in the Aviva Premiership. But Lawrence, who featured for England under-20s in the Six Nations earlier this year, has been called up to train with the senior side next week. Prop, Shonnet, Hooker, Singleton and Centre, Ta'au, will also gather in Brighton on Monday as England prepare for the South Africa tour and the non-cap match against the Barbarians at Twickenham on May the 22nd. But To'o is the only Warriors player to have been named in a 34-man squad to take on the Springboks in a three-match series next month as Seanett Singleton and Will Spencer, who is recovering from a toe problem, miss out. In the absence of ex-Worcester player Dylan Hartley, Northampton Saints, due to concussion, Owen Farrell, Saracens, will be captain for the tour. Worcester-born former Gloucester forward Elliot Stook, now of Bath, is in the training squad. Mm. It's been a breakthrough season for Lawrence, who made three first-team appearances while still at Bromsgrove School. And Warriors Academy manager Chim Gale said he was proud of Lawrence's efforts this term. This is a fantastic opportunity for Ollie to pick up vital experience alongside a host of world-class players and to learn on and off the field to become the best version of himself, Gail said. We're proud of Ollie, as we are of all our academy lads who've been tremendous this season. His selection is a testament to the hard work of the academy from top to bottom. 
We work closely with a number of players and it's great to see this hard work paying dividends with six players representing England at under 20 level this season. Director of Rugby Alan Solomon said, Ollie is clearly an outstanding young talent. I think he is someone who will make a big contribution to our club. Mm -hmm. Now have a piece about <coughs> Worcester City's squad. Worcester City's squad will begin to take shape from next week when manager John Snape stages a series of review meetings with his players. The city boss, who is uh, pictured on the front page here, confirmed talks had started with potential recruits and a smattering of his current crop, but stated anyone wishing to stay would have to play ball over the finances. It's understood that the homeless club's hierarchy has reigned in spending in the bid to balance the books. Although Snape politely declined to comment directly on his probation for 2018-19, but despite having to watch the pennies, City still hope to hold their leading lights and push for promotion from the Midland Football League. We have set player targets and held preliminary talks with some, but until I sit down face to face with the current squad, I would not want to comment on the future of any individuals, said Snape. What I can say is that we are looking forward to retain the nucleus but they will have to play ball. The budget is what it is, and we will stay within what is comfortable for the board. We will pick our squad and decide on the size in line, and with that, while trying to win the Midland Football League and promotion. We have arranged some review meetings for the next week, and I'm hoping to confirm who will be with us for the extra for the next season in the coming weeks. City returned for three for pre-season training on Wednesday, June the 27th, ahead of kicking off a programme of six friendly matches that will see under-21 prospects merged in with the senior team. There is one blank space on the calendar with a home clash against Stourbridge and a trip to Redditch United on the list. The friendless will see the mixture of the first team and the under-21s taking part, so we can see enough of everyone, Snape added. We wanted to get the boys back early to build our first season at this level, ensure our fitness is right and that the shape of the team is good. It was always going to be difficult last summer, but we did well and made a bright start. This time, the year we have under our belts, we should help as we look to hit the ground running. The pre-season schedule begins on Saturday, July the 7th, with two matches at Malvern Town and Dudley Town prior to trips to Shawbury United, Redditch and Cradley Town. There is space for a home fixture at the Victoria Ground Bromsgo on Saturday, July the 28th, 
before Stourbridge visit three days later. Okay, this is a bit of motorsport for you now. Robert Kenrick put his name in the 113-year-old history books at Shelsley Walsh by setting best time of the day at the season opening speed into spring meeting. Now into a second year driving his BMW 1000RR bike-powered GWR Raptor single-seater, the former Midland Hill climb champion is set for a full season of giant killing. He utilised his car's agility through the S's to set the fastest split time through the two corners, even though it ultimately gave top speed away on the long straight. Kenrick's outright winning time was 25.17 seconds, with a class record 12 months ago for his up to 1100cc category nearly a second slower. He said it means a lot to win here at Shelsley Walsh, especially with each super conditions for someone to enjoy. The car's superb to drive, it doesn't want for anything, and that means a 24-second run at the June or August meeting is easily on. I'm not really pushing too hard at the moment. I'm driving very much within the limits of me and the car. I'm not even flat through the crossing, so it makes 25 seconds this year like the 26th of last year. Everything is different with this new engine, though as it could have been very easy to put a load of bits on and not gain anything from it, but that's a reward of developing it over the last 18 months to give me 117 miles per hour over the line compared to my 110 miles an hour that I did last year. Okay, this is uh, an article about youth sport. The All-Stars Cricket Programme is attracting youngsters to the sport in Worcester. More than 600 aged between 5 and 8 have signed up for 2018, an increase of 20% on last year. 38 centres are involved in the eight-week programme which got underway last Friday. The aim is to attract as many new children and families to cricket as possible and 30% of those signed up in the county are girls. Worcestershire Cricket Board Development Director Tom Hill said, One of our hubs in Droitwich is the second biggest nationally. They've had over 100 kids signed up. To have so many new kids by this time is a fantastic uh, result, given the snow and poor weather and people not really thinking about cricket until now. That is credit to the team of coaches that are going out, doing taster sessions and introducing kids to the game. For example, at a taster session at Webb's Garden Centre, more than 100 kids turned up who were all new to cricket, which is brilliant. Clubs are starting to do a really good job with promoting. All stars and grants have been distributed earlier in the year to help make their facilities more family friendly. We've got 38 centres across Worcestershire this year, an increase of 15 compared to last year. I think we have got a programme that will challenge football and other sports in terms of the quality it has to offer. The kit, the quality of the activities and the opportunities for parents to get involved in their children's sessions. We are aspiring to make this the best hour of the week for young families. Through this programme we are aiming to inspire a generation to choose cricket. We've got hubs across the county which are really driving women's and girls' cricket. We're encouraging parents to be involved in the warm-ups. It really is about that shared experience. 
Hill paid tribute to the board staff who have played a major role in the success of the scheme in 2018. He added, Craig Oakley, the club development manager, Sam Wiles, the youth participation officer, Jim Hansen, marketing and communications, Kathura Pinawala, media, Dan Such, cricket development coach, and Emily Arlott, cricket development coach, have all done a brilliant job in ensuring the scheme is a success. Anyone wanting to sign up to their local centre can register at allstarcricket.co.uk. Well, rugby seems to have fallen to my lot tonight. This article is about rugby union Worcester Warriors. Roller coaster ride for me, Doncha. Retiring lock, Doncha O'Callaghan reflected on three roller coaster seasons at Worcester Warriors after bidding an emotional farewell at Six Ways. The ex Ireland International brought the curtain down on his 20 year playing career when Warriors hammered Harlequins 44 13 in the Aviva Premiership. Although O'Callaghan admitted he trained at Warriors ahead of the final game at Northampton Saints last weekend, the 39-year-old was keen to step aside and let the club's youngsters get their chance. Since joining Worcester from Munster in 2015, he's made 63 appearances and was appointed club captain for the 2017-18 campaign. And O'Callaghan insisted he'd enjoyed his time at Worcester, despite having to fight off the threat of relegation every season. It's been a roller coaster three years for me, as we've not kicked on as we would have liked, O'Callaghan said. But you can see the potential here, and I know the academy lads coming through are great. So if we can leave a vehicle for them to drive on, I think we will, they will do an incredible job. I think I found my voice in a leadership role. I'd always sat behind some incredible leaders, but I didn't help them. If I could go back, that would be something I would improve on, because in the last three years I've stepped up in that area. I've also seen the other side of rugby. I've been lucky enough to be part of successful teams. You think there's a massive gulf between what successful sides do and what teams down at the bottom of the league do, but there really isn't. The top guys just prepare that bit better, but I'm glad I got to see both sides of it. It has been enjoyable. I've made incredible friends. During his career, O'Callaghan earned 94 Ireland caps, winning the Grand Slam in 2009, and went on two British and Irish Lions tours. In recognition of his services to the game, O'Callaghan received a standing ovation from the Six Ways Faithfuls when he was introduced onto the field for the final time. The second row was then applauded off the pitch by players from both sides when he was substituted within 21 minutes to go. Before the match, there were just the usual nerves you get before every big game, O'Callaghan said. But when I walked down the tunnel, I needed to get away for a few minutes. You realise that was the end of it. But I've had a ball. I'm so lucky to do something that means everything to me for so long and just incredibly proud and grateful as well. It's time now for younger guys to grab their opportunity by the throat and take ownership of this club. I have a picture of loads of young swimmers 
And they're the squad from Worcester's National Arena League final swimmers. Daniel Day and David Annis, Annis starred as Worcester's com Worcester completed in the prestigious National Arena League finals for the first time. They represent the West Midlands in the B competition to Cardiff, having finished just two points behind Derby and the regional event. Improving Worcester, who have finished fifth, fourth, third and second in the last four regional finals, were one of the only two debutant teams along with Bromley. They received the award for the best supported team and the swimmers battled hard in the pool with the city finishing 10th on 195. City of Cardiff were runaway winners with 390 from Northampton on 296 and Camden Swiss Cottage at 295. Against strong competition, podium finishes were hard to come by, but Annis, who's 12, and Day, who's 14, managed a brace each. Day was the first in the 100-metre backstroke in 1.03.00 to finish well ahead of the new National League record and finish narrowly second in the 50 metres freestyle. Ennis was the first in the 50 metres back stroke in 33.74 seconds, which was over a second clear of his nearest challenger before snatching second place in a tight 50 minute metre freestyle race. Clubmate Olivia Fletcher swam one. 0 0.0020 for third in the girls, 16 stroke U, 100 metres freestyle. Worcester head coach Mark Stowe was delighted with the performance. He said the club's ambition must now be to build on this success in the next few years, qualify again for the national finals and finish higher up in the table in the B final, or even secure a place in the A final. Hmm. Yeah. Took me by surprise. Um, Worcester head coach, sorry, this is a bit of cricket for you. Worcester head coach Kevin Sharp has urged Joe Clark to continue producing big scores and keep knocking on the door for an England spot. Clark was not in the squad for next Thursday's first test against Pakistan at Lords after being touted for a call-up in some parts of the media in recent days. The England Lions batsmen scored back-to-back -back hundreds against Surrey at the Kia Oval and Essex at Blackfinch New Road to bolster his claims. But instead, Shrewsbury-born Clark turned his attention to Worcester Rapids' Royal London one-day cup campaign, beginning with Saturday's home encounter against Derbyshire Falcons. It's 11 o'clock, so if you don't want to watch the wedding, there's a bit of cricket going on. Mm -hmm. Sharp said, it is scores that count, and if you make runs consistently, you get noticed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People notice people who make hundreds, and Joe's hundreds against Surrey and Essex would have been noticed. It's the best way of doing it, and it's a case of back it up, back it up, back it up. Mm -hmm. Joe has backed it up twice now, 
Do it again and again and again. Keep producing and the opportunity will come. He hasn't got in this time and will be disappointed because playing for his country is what he wants. But the best thing to do is keep knocking on the door. Worcester all-rounder Moeen Ali was also not part of the squad after being left out of the test side in New Zealand last month. Moeen's Royal Challengers Bangalore side played Tom Moody's Sunrisers Hyder Band in the IPL today with the county ace having forced his way into the side. He's played the last three matches and helped challengers defeat Kings Eleven Punjab by 10 wickets. Mm-hmm. Moeen, 1-13, dismissed Aaron Finch for 26 as Punjab bowled out for just 88. And we're going to end with two articles which seem to me to typify what's going on in Worcester at the moment. We were all saying when we came in this evening uh, the number of roadworks and traffic chaos oh, in Worcester yes. has been particularly uh, unpleasant later, lately. So here's one article. Roadworks cause chaos. Yes. Roadworks caused traffic in Worcester to grind to a standstill yesterday morning. And this is from Thursday, May the 17th, today. A change in the new roadworks layout, including the complete closure of the filter lane onto Tybridge Street, left motorists seething as long tailbacks built up around the city. There was heavy traffic on the Tithing, Castle Street and Deansway and other roads. Drivers took to social media to vent their frustration. Hayley MacDonald posted on the Worcester News Facebook page, London Road backed up as well. The council need their heads looking at. A Worcester Crown Court trial was, which delay, was delayed due to members of the jury being caught in the traffic. The last juror arrived, arrived at 11am when they were supposed to be in court at 10. The barristers were also late. St John's Roundabout was clogged and traffic towards Hilton Road and the River Bridge was heavy. Mm. Bromwich Road, heading into the town centre from the Southern Ring Road, was also heavily congested. A broken down bus was reported on B4550 Rainbow Hill, where yeah. traffic was building both ways between Lansdowne Crescent and Dutton Street. Traffic was already slow in the area due to the roadworks near Lansdowne Road by the vet's surgery. Worcester Highways tweeted that the traffic was due to new road being restricted to a single lane. Yesterday was the last day of restrictions there and all three lanes will be open today, a spokesman said. Worcester News reporter Ryan Merrifield was stuck on Spetchley Road near the Oak Apple pub for 45 minutes. Fellow reporter Aled Thomas was stuck for 30 minutes on Bromwich Road where he said the traffic was the worst he'd ever seen there. Many posted on our Facebook page about the congestion. Nigel Knight said the traffic was madness. Susan Key commented, been sat in traffic on the London Road for over 45 minutes, going nowhere. And Fozia Shahzads added, it's disgusting and kids are getting late for exams even though you set out earlier. Okay, here's another one. Traffic lights at a pedestrian crossing on Worcester's fast-moving Ring Road at Nunnery Way have not been working for months. They are covered over and the push buttons are disabled prompting residents to express fears that a bad accident might happen at any time. Andrew Cross, who lives in Warnden Villages, brought the matter up at Warnden Parish Council meeting. He said 
The lights were found to have some sort of fault last winter, five or six months ago. The road is very busy and drivers seem to ignore the 40 mile an hour speed limit. It would be terrible if there was a death here. I suppose if there wasn't a crossing, in a way it wouldn't be so bad. It wouldn't encourage people to cross there. But I'd like to know what's happening about resolving this dangerous situation. Although roads, pavements and crossings are the responsibility of Worcestershire County Council, it seems that it's not simply a case of getting the county wall to fix the lights. Councillor Andy Roberts, the county councillor for Warnden, said, I have had meetings about it and there is work going on. My understanding is that the crossing was put in as a condition of planning permission for the development. It was put in by the developers, but it hasn't yet been adopted by the County Council. One of the reasons is that a car hit the crossing and damaged it, and also that the whole thing needs a proper safety audit. One question is why the development was allowed to become operational before the crossing was put properly into action. Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member for Highways, Councillor Alan Amos, said the safety audit process is yet to be completed. The pedestrian crossing cannot be brought into operation until the safety audit process is completed. Well, get on with it. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell didn't they think of it earlier? Yeah, it's gobsmacking, isn't it? Right, well, mm. I'll end now by saying that we all hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Worcester Talking newspaper. And personally, I want to thank everyone here for helping me on this, my editorial debut. Oh. So we send you our very best wishes and hope you'll tune in to next week's edition. So it's goodbye from me, Evelyn. Paddy. Moira. Hugh. And goodbye. Goodbye. Mm. Very good. Thank you. I've got to shoot. <laughs>